The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by mindful wellness. I have to tell you guys, I am down an additional, I think two to three pounds since I started with them. So I've only been working with them for a few weeks and I couldn't be happier. I'm down a total of about 26 pounds since I started my weight loss journey about a year ago. And they have this amazing challenge that's starting in January. So it's a 90 day weight loss challenge that launches in January And you can embrace the new year with a refreshed and revitalized version of yourself. It's your time to shine, to prioritize your well-being, and embark on a transformative journey. This 90-day weight loss program is tailor-made for anyone eager to reclaim their health and vitality. Don't do it alone. Rally your friends and do it together. Let's conquer this challenge. Get set for a thrilling ride to a healthier and happier you. I know I'm taking the challenge. I hope you will too. Text 310-220-4543, or you can go straight to their website, mindfulwellness.com to find out more. And now back to the podcast. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Happy New Year, everybody. I've been gone. I had a repeat last week, a revisited episode that I loved. It's one of my favorite episodes with um, Nina Sassman-Pogue, and she talks about your this And how your this doesn't define you. It could be like whatever it is in life. Um, You know, hers was an accident and she almost killed someone. We're going to kind of get into the story of my guest today. But um, I love her book. This is not the end. I talk, I promote it all the time. It's my go-to for when I'm really struggling or I know somebody's struggling, I give them this book and I love it. It's a quick read. You can read it in like um, a, in a plane ride. I read, read it the first time on a plane and I was ugly crying. So that's my first note. My second note is some of my listeners and I, God bless all of you. I love you that you put up with 
Megan Judge and my annoying voice and my likes and all of my flaws every week. But um, some of the feedback is, why are there so many ads? So I do have a lot of ads right now. I'm so thankful for my sponsors that I have right now, like Recess for Dry January and um, Home Threads, which I'm obsessed with, Bio Optimizer, all the uh, mindful wellness. I know that I have a lot of um, ads right now. I want you to know your little friend, Megan, has been doing this podcast since 2020. And we have to be able to um, make some money back so I can keep this thing going and pay my editor and pay my website and maybe have a little like pocket spending money, if you will, so I can go buy a nice blush and lipstick now that I'm getting old. Um, Okay. So that's, I think that's my second note, but thank you always for listening to the ads. Um, I really promote companies that I believe in and I love. And so I'll say that. Okay. My last thing is I just got back from a trip with my family. And this was a trip that we have been planning for multiple years. And we went to Italy and I sound like one of the most annoying, like bratty, like, oh, where are you going for Christmas? We're going to the South of France. No. And by the way, I have a friend that went to the South of France. So don't be mad at me if you're listening and I'm not cutting on you or anything, but, um, This was a long planned family vacation. My husband is fluent in Italian. I am not, um, but I do know how to say ciao and grazia. And um, I think that's it. Maybe I learned one other word, but we have been planning this trip forever because we wanted to, to have our children experience our favorite city in the world, which is Rome. Rich, rich, rich in history. Um, I was, I am and was obsessed. I mean, just going to Rome and seeing all the history, how in God's name are these buildings still standing like parts of the Colosseum and the forum and just, it's the most amazing place I've ever been in my life. And every time I've gone, I've just been, my jaw is on the floor and I really took a moment, um, to, take a step back after having the stomach bug, which is a totally separate story. We all got hit with it. Um, But just to say, wow, like I'm grateful. I'm so grateful to be in a place so magical and to be in the space that I'm in in my life right now, which honestly... Every year that that passes, the older that I get... um, I I just am so grateful to be here. A couple when I was in 2020 and I started this, I didn't even want to be on the planet. So to be able to be in a place where I'm able to go on a trip with my family that I'm I love so very much even though I couldn't stand them by the end. Um it's just a really good place to be. So if you're listening to this um and you're struggling right now, I try to remind all of you when you listen you don't know where you're going to be a year from now. You don't know where you're going to be five years from now. You don't know where you're going to be five minutes from now. Life is worth living. It's worth doing. It's worth going through the hard, even though it's so hard and you don't see a way out. And it's worth the magic of having the opportunity that I didn't think I would have a few years ago to be able to go to a place like Italy and I didn't think I'd even be here. So that's my long, long winded intro. Uh, my guest, we've all been put here for a reason and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge.
I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. My guest today, um, I'm so grateful to have her on. We already hit it off and before we, like the minute we started talking, uh, Angela Pugh is a fellow podcaster. So I love having fellow podcasters on. Her podcast is called Addiction Unlimited. It is a very successful podcast. It's even ranked higher than mine, whatever, U-B-I-T-C-H. I'm joking. <laughs> um, and she is a life coach and we're going to get into her story. Did I leave anything out? No, that's know. the important stuff. That's the important stuff. Okay. <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. Any thoughts on what I just said? Well, a lot, actually. First, okay. I want to say I love you taking a moment to express gratitude for everything that you said, right? Because I could so relate to so much of that because, you know, there was a time when I was a much younger person that... I didn't have any plans for my future because I didn't think I was going to be alive. Mm-hmm. Like I never thought about what I was going to do with my life or what I would be when I grew up because I didn't think I would live that long. Mm-hmm. And it really is in those moments when things are really freaking hard because they're hard a lot and it's mm-hmm. overwhelming a lot. I mean, life is the most challenging thing we'll do. And especially for those of you that are like spouses and parents, I mean, two of the hardest things ever. And life is challenging and it will try to beat you down, but you can always come out the other side, right? And that gratitude is so important to remember. Like just even my shitty moments, it's like I'm thankful for my shitty moments because the alternative was to drink myself to death, which is what I tried to do, you know? Yeah. Um, So, and that is so true is your shitty moments are moments that you really need to go or maybe, I don't know, because in the moment when you're in the shitty moments, you're just like, get me out. How do I escape this? But looking back on my shittiest times, and I love that we're saying shittiest. It's a good word. Um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know that one day I would be in the place that I am right now, or I'm sure you didn't when you were sitting here saying, I'm drinking myself to death. How do I get out of this? Just to take a step back and remind ourselves as we begin this new year, you know, um, you know, whether you're going through a loss or you have an addiction issue and you don't see a way out. Like, you know, recently we lost, and I'm going to, I've brought this up before, but we lost Matthew Perry. And this morning I woke up to like a news article about his addiction and how he was abusive and how he was secretly still using. And it really, what it did was just piss me off. Like let the man rest. Okay. He was obviously very, very sick. I I just found that really gross. Um, but, and also none of that is uncommon. You know what I mean? Like I was abusive too. Like I was a raging a-hole 
Uh-huh. majority, certainly when I was unhealthy in my drinking life, right? Like I had a temper, I was condescending, I was mean, I have narcissistic tendencies. Like at the same time, there was another side of me that was fantastic, but we all are like a thousand piece puzzle and we yeah. all have pieces that aren't fantastic, right? But those pieces don't define me either. I am the sum of my parts. I'm not the individual pieces, right? So I can be a really shitty human too. And even if he was secretly using, like in the recovery world, that's not uncommon either. I mean, I knew someone from my very early sobriety days, I knew somebody that went to AA meetings and showed up every day and celebrated his first two birthdays, celebrated two years sobriety and was drinking the whole time. You know, it is... It's just a part, a part of addiction is dishonesty, right? There is, and and a little addiction to chaos, you know, Mm -hmm. we do, that's why things, you know, they say people with addiction oftentimes are addicted to drama and drama queens, because for us, things have to be a little bit bigger. They have to be a little bit more dramatic for us to feel it the way a regular person would feel regular things. So there is some truth to that, right? There's a little bit of adrenaline. There's a little bit of chaos addiction. There's a little bit of um, mischievous, like I'm getting away with something. We love all of that stuff. It well, just I manifests mean, it's, differently. It's also like this is a disease. So it does right. make sense that, you know, if you're so desperate to to want to walk in the shoes of being like I'm healthy or pretend, like who are we to, that's our problem in a nutshell which I analyze every night in my, in when I'm up at like two in the morning is we're so judgmental of each other, like layoff. hundred percent. We're all just yes. trying to freaking make it through and get to the other side, which is hopefully heaven in my opinion. Okay. What I think is interesting is that yeah. people like, I do think it is at a certain level, it is human nature to be judgmental. And like my sponsor always taught me, he's like, Angela, we will always watch each other. We will always analyze how each other does things. And we will make judgments, so to speak, on, oh, I wouldn't handle it that way, or, oh, wow, that was really cool. I'm going to try that next time. You know, when it becomes judgment is when you think you are superior mm-hmm. for the way you do it, and the other person is inferior because they don't do it like you. And the really fascinating part of that is, at what point did we get to a place that we feel it's necessary that we have to voice our disagreements or the judgments, right? Like, why do you think you need to tell people how you, how negatively you feel about how they're doing something or whether Matthew Perry was abusive or secretly drinking? Like, who the F cares about your opinion, right? Like, when did we get to a place that we think our opinions are so important that we have to shove them down everyone's throat? Like, I'm barely even interested in my own opinion, more or less anybody else's about this stuff. You well, know? it's called, it's called um, the World Wide Web. So let's just yeah. start. <laughs> we'll say that that's when it all started. But I mean, the nose, like the, 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 by in history, in the history of humanity, and I'll bring Rome back in. Um, I had to miss the Coliseum tour because my kids had the stomach bug first and then it went in waves. And I was, I love history. I've always been obsessed with history. Like even I was never a very good student, but I always loved history, learning about people, 
understanding like how we, how are we here? You know? So I love museums. I've always been like this. And they, the, my husband was telling me about the Coliseum tour. This will all make sense by the way, Angela and listeners. Cause I know I have ADD and I'm like squirrel and I like to go after different topics at all times. But, um, he said that they talked about, um, the, the Coliseum tour, how, these most of the people that were sacrificed in the gladiators were slaves or you know they they had all these entrances for all these animals to come in so like lions and they wouldn't feed the animals and so there would be like 25 gladiators at one time like in this you know giant uh coliseum and they all pretty much all died right and that's the whole point of the gladiator and i said to him i was like who would want to go and watch this. And he said that they talk about, it was either to like warn people, like this could happen to you, like stay, stay in your lane or just like the humanity, there was nothing to do. We did, they didn't have TV. They didn't have like, Mm -hmm. they would do their like little jobs and have children and like sit in their little, whatever they lived in. And -hmm. then this was like their big event for the year or whenever it came up. And I started to think about it because I was like, how were people so like cruel and disgusting and mean? And so that's what like page six and TV and Mm. reality and all of these things, you know, once the internet started and now phones and social media have brought out in us, it's almost like our modern day Coliseum, you know? So everything you're saying is making sense. It's like the human, it's the human, uh, what am I trying to say right now? It's the, the obsession with like life after death, um, seeing each other fall. It's like a whole thing. So it makes sense that people are obsessed with this stuff, but I love what you said. Like, you don't even want to live with your own thoughts. You don't want to even live with like what your opinions are just like, I don't sometimes. And sometimes like you're a podcaster. We were talking before we started, sometimes I don't feel like doing this. You know, I always am Mm -hmm. grateful afterwards, but it's overwhelming because you know, you're about to go down an avenue of let's get real. Let's talk about life. Let's even Mm -hmm. talk about social media and my posts that I posted, you know, while I was away on like my family and from the outside, we all look so happy and we were happy in those pictures, I was probably yelling at my husband and a few of them right before, but that's what social media is. It's like your, I call it my Facebook life. Anyways, Angela, I want to get into your story and why you do what you do, because I think it's so important as many people right now, we're in the month of January and people are taking a break from alcohol. And so I love that you're doing a dry January and you're going to, you're doing a whole boot camp coaching session. And then you told me before we recorded, we were, you're going to be doing one in July too. So I want to hear all about that. But first I want to hear about you and where you're from. So let's start there. Where I'm from, Kansas City. And then I took a, and then I took a hiatus to Los Angeles and then I was back and forth between those two places for a long time. And then when COVID happened and I had to choose where I was going to quarantine, I quarantined in Kansas City because my family is in Kansas City. I have a whole bunch of little nieces and nephews that I am obsessed with. And uh, yeah, so I just wanted to be close to my people. So I am full-time Kansas City. 
Okay. Can I ask you, are you a Chiefs fan? No. I am not. Okay. <laughs> no, no, it's I'm not just that like, I'm not a Chiefs fan. I'm not a football fan. And I love sports. I just yeah. don't like football. You know, I really, there's like a lot the of violence. other stuff I love. Yeah. I'm a huge basketball fan. Okay. Um, I love basketball. I love hockey. I love UFC or MMA. You know, I love, I, I love all kinds of stuff. But I don't know. Really, I think um, football is kind of weird to me. It doesn't make any sense. And also, I was a bartender uh-huh. um, for 20 years, right? And so I had to bartend with all kinds of different people. And that kind of ruined me on football also because yeah. it was just really not a fun environment to be a part of. Like when they would descend, when football players would descend on the nightclub where I worked or whatever, it was it, it was always just a little chaotic. So No, it makes sense. I Just so you know, I never watched football. Well, as a little girl, I did. I would watch the what now commanders, but Washington Redskins. But I've started getting into football because my nephew plays college football and then... Now I'm really into, I, I think I fell into the Travis Taylor Kelsey. thing. And so now yeah. I'm all, and I watched the documentary about the the Kelsey brothers. So now I really have decided that I am a Chiefs fan. So I do watch the Chiefs, but it is, it is what you're saying. If that's a trigger for you. So we're going to get into that, yeah. the whole bar, yeah. like bartending with all those, that makes sense. Okay, so you're you're now settled back in Kansas City. You were in LA. And now like kind of tell me about your story, like how you got to the place where you are today. Well, you know, it really is a long journey, and I think that's an important part to highlight also because I think people have this misconception that like you're a hardcore alcoholic from your first drink, you know, mm-hmm. and that really is not the case at all. I didn't start drinking until later. I didn't, I never drank like in middle school or high school. I drank one time when I was really young and it was a horrific experience. I was vomiting. It was terrible. And I had no desire to drink again until I started working in bars. So it wasn't until like 19, 20 years old that I really started drinking. And that was just because I was working in bars and everybody around me was drinking every day. So I drank every day. But in the beginning, drinking for me might've been three drinks in a whole night, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have any tolerance. I wasn't trying to get drunk. I would just have some drinks. But there is a progression, you know, and one of the beautiful things that I think is happening more now is people are stopping way earlier in that progression. You know, like not everybody has to ride the train all the way to the depths of hell before they get off. You can get off that ride whenever you want. And that's very trendy now to stop much earlier in the process. So, you know, listen, I had like 13, 14 years that my alcoholism was growing and getting worse and slowly taking me over and slowly infiltrating every piece of my life and ruining my life and ruining my self-esteem and, you know, terrible decisions and trauma on top of trauma. And (laughs) by the time I was 33, I was a mess. You know, my last... I moved to Kansas City when I was 30 and I was sober at 33 and a half. So those years really, when I moved to Kansas City, it was such a culture shock 
And I know that sounds weird because I was born and raised in Kansas City, but my first adult formative years on my own as a grown-up were in L.A. So I was very L.A. And to come back to a city that's so different, so much more laid back, uh, it was hard for me too because I was used to bartending like super high volume nightclubs where I made a ridiculous amount of money coming to a place that didn't really have high volume nightclubs. Well, let me, let me stop you right there because I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I also was in the bar scene. We might know each other actually. Um, I, I was a cocktail waitress. I worked, I'm from DC, Potomac, Maryland originally. I cannot imagine moving back. It would be culture shock for me because I've lived yeah, in LA. Yeah, it was crazy. It was yeah. really hard. And it sounds even more crazy, but I moved to Kansas City. My I made way less money. My yeah. bills were actually more. My monthly expenses were more because I lived in the same apartment in Hollywood for eight and a half years and it was rent control. So my rent was really nothing and it was all utilities included. So it's like, I was making a fifth the money I was used to making. My bills, my monthly expenses were way more. I certainly didn't look like the people around me because I looked You're very LA, LA and yeah. right and yeah. super flam, you know, way more flamboyant yeah. and kind of out there and go getter in a very laid back conservative place, which is it's such a beautiful thing about Kansas City. The people are incredible. But if you don't fit, you don't fit. Yeah. Which is why I left to begin with, you know? So when I got back to Kansas City, it's like I went off the deep end. You know, mm-hmm. it was definitely uh, elevated my drinking quickly. And then another piece of that puzzle was um, I had, I started dating somebody who really was probably the worst boyfriend I ever had and was really emotionally abusive and unkind and a liar and a cheater and all those things. And it just slowly destroyed me as a human being. And like every time I would accept some drama or lie from him, it would further destroy me because I was so disappointed in myself. And I was so disgusted at myself that I was accepting this behavior from another person. And I I just, I was grossed out by myself. Like I hated myself. You didn't like being in your own skin. No, God, no. But let me and ask I couldn't you figure this. out, like, why was I doing, like, why was yeah. I taking it? Why wasn't I breaking up with him? Why wasn't I leaving him? Like, it was so weird because I also had never really been like that. I've dated a ton of guys that weren't fantastic, but I never stayed. You know? <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Did you leave LA? Because that's a big thing. If you were there for that long of a period, it, it is, a. I mean, now I live by the beach, so you know LA. Um, but I was in like West Hollywood for, until I was like 32 maybe. And then we moved to the beach and had a family. And so it's very different, but it is definitely a place, especially if you work in like the bar restaurant scene where it's, that's just normal. You start drinking during the day and then you drink at night. And then you, my husband was a bartender for a really long time because he was an actor and, you know, he was drinking all the time, all the time. That's like how you get through a shift. But did you get to a yeah. point where you were like, I'm done with LA because some that, that's common. People are like, I'm done. I want to go back to my roots. Did you realize that you were having issues with like alcohol at that point? Was that part of 
the equation on why you left? No, definitely not part of why I left. Mm -hmm. I think my leaving LA is just, I was exhausted. Mm -hmm. You know, I was exhausted. Like everything in big cities is hard, you know, and even my friends now will say to me, they're like, why don't you just move back? You're here all the time anyway. And I'm like, listen, you don't understand the beauty of when I want to go to the grocery store, <laughs> I just drive there and I park in the parking lot and I walk inside. And oh like, my God, this is so valet. funny. I'm, I don't have to valet. I don't have to drive around the block 72 times and have money for the meter. I'm not getting accosted by homeless people. My car's not getting broken into while I'm inside. I don't have to worry about some creepy dude following me around. Like it was all of those things. Like LA is exhausting. It is well, just if you're a in the city. Looking if over. you're in the yes, city. Yes, in Hollywood. Yeah. In so, Hollywood. So sure. I've, I've told this story probably before. I moved to the beach because I remember circling the um, the Grove um, Whole Foods, you know, off Fairfax. It's absurd. Yeah. I, yeah. I had a brand new baby and I just circled the parking lot. I circled the par parking lot for like 45 minutes and I started crying. I called my husband. I'm like, we need to move to the beach. I can't do this anymore. So it yeah. makes so much sense that you take for granted. Like you're like, oh my God, I can get out of my car and park. Yeah. And I get yeah. to park in these gigantic parking spots because yeah. I live in suburbia. Like yeah. it is, it is yeah. beautiful. Yeah. If there's just an ease of living, especially as an older person. I mean, I'm in my fifties now. Mm -hmm. It was one thing to um, be in Hollywood in you my twenties. You look 30 years old. Just oh, FYI. You. Go to YouTube, everyone. <laughs> she looks stunning and young. Okay. But thank okay. You. So you, you're, so that had nothing to do with it. So you're back in Kansas city, you're dating somebody that was horrific, a bad, unhealthy relationship, couldn't figure out why you were in it. Were you still bartending at the time when you got there? Okay. So now you're, you're in that scene, but in a different city. And then what was, did it get to a point, like explain how you got to the point of being done? So I knew the last couple of years, I knew like my drinking was really out of control. I was drinking almost nonstop. You know, it used to be like, obviously my schedule was backwards from the regular world because I was a bartender, right? So the majority of my life, I didn't go to work until 11 PM, you know, getting home from work at three, four in the morning, five in the morning sometimes. So it went from like drinking at work and maybe after work, staying up until 3 or 4 a.m. drinking to then I was staying up till 6 a.m. drinking. Then I'm staying up till 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning drinking. Like it was just getting crazy. And then I would pass out and get up, you know, usually probably around 2 or something. Couldn't eat, couldn't do anything for at least a couple of hours. It really was just laying around until it was time to start drinking again, whether I went to work or went out, you know. So it had gotten really ugly. And I had gotten, I was so broken by that point. And like I said, just disgusted with myself. I hated myself. And I really thought every day, because I weighed 97 pounds then too, and I really thought I'm this little tiny human and I consumed so much alcohol on a daily basis. I just thought I would go to sleep one night and never wake up. Like mm -hmm. that is what I thought every single night I closed my eyes. I was like, maybe this is it, you know? Um, and every day that I woke up and realized I was alive, like I was pissed because okay. it felt torturous. 
You know, it's like, oh my God, I have to do this again. And you're just so trapped. I was so trapped in it. So I knew I, I knew I had to stop, you know, I just didn't know how to do that or how to make it happen. Um, I had, I took a couple of breaks, right. Which is what you see a lot of people do with dry January or you mm-hmm. hear people say, I'm giving up alcohol for Lent, you know, or there's all these months, uh, alcohol free, April, dry July, sober October. Right. And people will take these little breaks. And I did the same thing. I took a 30 day break, just take a step back. And then I was like, okay, well, I've proven to myself I don't need to drink every day, so I'll just drink on special occasions, right? (laughs) That didn't last long. And then maybe a year later, I took a 60-day break, and I didn't do anything. I didn't go to AA. I didn't get any kind of help. I just quit drinking, and I did good for 60 days, but I never had any intention of quitting forever at that point. I was just taking a break, you know? But I did know that time when I took my first drink, I knew it was basically jumping off a cliff, right? I knew it was going to take me right back to the insanity of how I drank. And every time you take a break and start drinking again, you actually drink worse than you drank before. So I drank worse than I even drank before. And it was sheer insanity. And it was gross. And I was sad. And I hated myself. And then I got in a car accident and I thought I killed the person I hit. I hit another car at 70 miles an hour on the freeway and I thought I killed that guy. And I was standing on the side of the freeway and I was thinking, like, I have to call my mom and tell her I just killed somebody. And in my head, I was using the word murder, you know. You got out of the car or were you in the car you thought you hit somebody and killed them? I hit another car at 70 miles an hour. So I was out of the car and I thought the person I hit was dead. I mean, I hit them at 70 miles an hour. Now, listen, I don't know anything about my accident. I I think I passed out because I couldn't tell you anything about it. I remember like getting in the car, walking to my car, and I was probably only driving for two or three minutes. I didn't make it far. Um, But the next thing I remember is coming to... And I was like slouched over in my car and there was blood everywhere. And I raised my head and like my hood was crunched. And I was like, well, that's weird. Like I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what had happened. Uh, So I can't tell you a lot of details about it. Like I don't remember getting out of my car. I don't know if an officer got me out of my car. I have no idea. Um, But I remember bits and pieces, and I remember being standing on the side of the freeway. And of course, I'm all dressed up because it had been a night out. I'm in a skirt and heels, pouring blood out of my face, and um, and I just thought, like, I have to call my mom and tell her I just murdered somebody. Mm -hmm. And and I have one of those moms that is spectacular. She is like what you dream of when you dream up the perfect mom. I have that mom. And I was like, holy shit, man, I'm going to ruin her entire life in one sentence. In a matter of seconds, like she's going to be destroyed. And come to find out the guy I hit was fine. I was the only one injured, actually, and I was pretty injured. So I ended up having to be rushed to the emergency room. It was a whole ridiculous, crazy situation. But in that moment, you know, the other thing that I was thinking about standing on the side of the freeway is I was so shocked at the prospect of hurting somebody else 
Because when you're an alcoholic, you really do think that you're only hurting yourself, right? We're so self-absorbed that we don't really see how it affects the people around us. And I always knew like I was hurting myself, but I didn't care about hurting myself because I wanted to die, right? Mm -hmm. I would have done anything for the pain to be over, but it never crossed my mind that I could hurt somebody else. And that was really the thing. And I know that sounds crazy driving drunk too, but I had never crashed before. <laughs> so even no, I like mean, crashing drunk was not on my radar. That had never happened before. You know? I mean, not, not to talk over you, but I have done an episode with um, Martin Lockett, who is now one of my friends. And um, he spent 17 and a half years in prison because he was drunk driving and killed someone on New Year's Eve. He's a yeah. great guy. Great guy, yeah. served his time. Um, now he's a speaker and a podcaster as well. And he, um, same kind of thing. Like you don't, I don't think like anybody goes into it to get behind a wheel and drive a car to ever hurt somebody else. Again, no. this is an illness. It's a, it's, you're sick. This goes into the, why I am such a huge believer in there has to be some kind of device that they put on a car, not just for somebody that is a drunk driver and has had a previous record. I think it should be universal that you cannot turn on your cell phone when the car is moving or that, that you should not be able to get behind a wheel when you've been, when you have a blood alcohol limit of a certain amount, because you don't have the ability when you're drunk to understand that you're drunk and you should not be getting behind the wheel of a car. And if you've ever... It's like we talk... Yeah. We talk it, so much about consent now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. really, when you're when you're intoxicated, you are in not in any shape to give any sort of no. consent for anything, including driving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you're just not. You're not in your right mind. You're not thinking clearly. Your ability to weigh risk is is very compromised. And at the same time, you know, those are things that we have to be responsible of ourselves as human beings too, right? Alcoholism is a disease, no question. It, it hijacks your brain. It changes how things work. There is a certain element that we don't have control. However, the element where we don't have control is once alcohol is in my body. Mm -hmm. Before I drink, I have a lot of choices to make, you know, and that's where I love that they're doing so many campaigns now about designated drivers and don't drink and drive because you really have to make that decision before you ever have the first drink. Those are things, that's a responsible drinker, right? Is you have to have those things laid out before you ever have the first drink. I agree with you, but I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you and my audience and my listeners. I mean, being a parent, I have two daughters. One is 13, one is nine, almost 10, one's almost 14, one's almost 10. And I, I remember being young in the Hollywood clubs, just like you. And I got behind the wheel and I was drunk and I should not have been driving a car. And every single time I did that, I was not responsible and, and my brain was not fully formed, obviously, because I was in my 20s and your brain's not fully formed till you're 27 for women. Um, there has to be something that stops people. Yeah. 
Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft. Made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I mean, no, I, was just, I agree. I, I was agree. just at the nail salon. Sorry to go off on this tangent, but I was at the nail salon um, right before I left for Christmas break to go on our trip. And I go to my girls that I've been going to forever. I'm obsessed with them. Shout out Kathy and Jean. <laughs> and... Um, there was a, a a woman that came in there and she was wasted. It was like 10, 11 in the morning and she was crying. She was just belligerently drunk. And I just said to them, I was like, please, whatever you do, do not let this lady drive a car. I will drive her home. I will call an Uber. I will do whatever. And they were like, we promise we will not. Cause I didn't even want to leave. I was going to sit there and wait until she left. So. Yeah. But but going back, I mean, I hate to talk about spirituality, but I do believe in spirituality and God and all of those things. That's a moment in life that not everybody is given, you know, where you go, okay, like I made a mistake. I didn't kill someone like Martin killed someone and he has to live with that for the rest of his life. He lives his life helping others just like you do, you know, with what you do. But that is that's something that was like, that's your this in life. It's not your total this, which we talked about in the beginning with Nina, but it's a this. And with that, 
decision and what happened to you, it changed your whole trajectory on your life. So tell me about and I that. Was, I was really aware of that too. Yeah. Because that also wasn't the first situation I had been in where I probably should have died. Mm-hmm. There were several other situations that I really came out of that I was like, gosh, that's weird. Like, how am I coming out of this virtually unscathed? So I, I was acutely aware that there had to be a different plan for me. And I had that thought of like, I am trying my best to die on a daily freaking basis and I am not dying. So there must be something else that's meant for me, right? There must be something else I'm supposed to do because obviously it's not die. And that's all I knew at that point. Um, I didn't know that sobriety and recovery would be my calling. You know, I didn't know that quite yet. I did know that pretty early in my recovery. I think I was about four months sober when I thought I want this to be my whole life. And that was just because I was seeing so much change and growth in myself. I was watching myself grow into a person that I didn't even know I was capable of being. And I was like proud of myself and I was becoming a good human. Mm -hmm. And I never even thought that was possible for me. And when I saw that the potential really was unlimited, which is why my podcast is Addiction Unlimited. When I saw the potential was unlimited, I was just like, wow, like all I want to do is help other people do this Mm -hmm. because this is unbelievable, you know, to be able to change and, and really curate your life, to really be able to sit back and decide what you want your life to look like and build it that way is phenomenal. It's, it's also like, I mean, exceptionally rewarding to know. Mm. I mean, I know you understand this just talking to you briefly to be like, I think that shame is what really takes us out of opportunities in life, you know, to really love ourselves, to really take a step back and be like, I deserve to love myself. I'm a, I'm a good person. And shame is hidden behind the drinking. And, you know, like we talked about alcohol is a progressive disease. So like if you picked up that first three drinks in the bar when you first started bartending and then little by little that alcohol just builds, it's like a building in your system. And then instead of you're just used to like, oh, I'm going to have 10 drinks because that's where my tolerance is right now. So to some people, 10 drinks, you know, that's their daily alcohol intake or more. Some people too, you, you would be like wasted, but you get used to it, but it's, it's where you are now. And what you're doing now is one of the, and I think is the most powerful and greatest gift that we're given as human beings to be able to take yourself out of something and help other people. And I say this all the time. It's like a selfish thing to me because, um, when I know that I have a listener that reaches out to me and says, like, you helped me, I lost somebody and like, I'm grieving or whatever it is, just like for you to have a listener reach out to you and say, you know, I was struggling. And then I listened to your podcast or I, you know, I did something that you talked about. It is the greatest gift as human beings that we have is to help each other and talk to each other and communicate. So... I, I, I love everything about what you do. 
I really do. That's something that I wouldn't have learned had I not gone to AA, right? Mm -hmm. Like service, being of service is a huge piece of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. And that's where I learned that. Of course, as an alcoholic, I was just selfish. All I ever thought about was me, you know, but getting in the program, it's so important to be of service and it's so driven into you that it's about the other person. It's not about you. And I say this to my audience all the time, like stop thinking about what you're going to get from something and start thinking about what you can give. Like I don't go to meetings at 18 years sober because I'm worried about drinking. I'm very diligent in my in taking care of myself. I don't worry about drinking. I have no desire to drink. I go to meetings because I want to be there for the next person coming in to help them feel more comfortable, right? And also for my own behavior, I need to keep my behavior on track too. But it is about what you can give. It's not always only about what you can get from anything, anything you're doing, whether it's work or showing up to a family event, like always being in that service mindset of what can I give? How can I make this situation better? How can I make somebody else smile today? Instead of we're so consumed with ourselves and what we want and what we think and what we need and how we want things to go and what I want you to say to me and how I want you to say it. And yeah, it's just me, 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 me me all the time. But do you think, so I, I know people that have gotten sober and again, I don't know if it's like a long-term thing, but they've gotten sober on their own. They didn't go to AA for you. Can you talk about the AA component and how important that is for people that might be struggling or they, maybe they're, they've been sober a month or they've been sober for two months or a year and they don't go to AA. Can you kind of talk about that from for us? I'll tell you, the thing I think is the greatest about AA mm-hmm. is really it's just a cheat sheet, right? Like, I didn't need to be trying to figure out a bunch of stuff in the beginning, right? Like, I couldn't trust my thinking, obviously, because my best thinking got me almost dead and got somebody else almost dead, mm-hmm. right? So, my comfort zone and my way of approaching life and my method of making life choices obviously was not good. (laughs) So I needed to just follow the lead of other people. I needed it to be simple. There really is a, a formula for recovery. It doesn't matter. You don't necessarily have to go to AA for the formula, but AA is the cheat sheet, right? Mm -hmm. You have to have connection. You have to have people that you can follow that lead, people that have done what you're trying to do and who have done it successfully, and they can tell you how to do it. You have to have that. It's no different than we have managers and business coaches in our professional lives. It's exactly what a parent is to a child, right? Or an auntie in my case. But you have to have people to learn from, right? I have to have friends and connection and laughter. I have to have acceptance. And AA gave me all of that without me even knowing that's what I needed. It also, because people with addiction were compulsive people. Mm -hmm. I needed something to channel my energy into. So it was good for me. I went to a meeting. They said, come every day. I was like, oh, fantastic. Because I don't have anything else to do. Let's do this thing. And I went every day. And it was a good way for me to gauge my commitment and my discipline 
and really challenging myself to stay engaged because I was a quitter. I quit everything my whole life. Yeah. I never did things successfully. The moment it was uncomfortable or I wasn't good at it or it didn't feel good, I bailed on everything. And I knew my sobriety was too important that I couldn't bail on it. So just having that meeting every day to gauge myself and make sure I was staying engaged and keeping my head in the game was perfect for me. It just gave me everything. Now, remember, I got sober a really long time ago too, so we didn't have any other options either. (laughs) Now, there are all these different things you can do. There are all these other programs. Every support group on the planet is available online now. Um, every podcaster has their own program and their own coaching and their own communities, right? Like I didn't have any of that. I just knew I had to go where people didn't drink and AA is where people didn't drink. So that's where I went. Well, it's almost two. We talked about this before we recorded and I don't mean this. However, somebody gets sober. Congratulations. That's amazing. Whatever works for you, works for you. You should be freaking proud of yourself because it's hard. Yeah. Um, but there, it, it's almost like a trendy thing now, right? There's like all these, um, it's finally like there's mocktails, Reese, shout out to Recess. They're one of my sponsors and I love them. By the way, they're really, really good. I don't know if you've ever had one. Um, but it's almost like, oh, I'm California sober or I'm, every, you know, everybody. Now it's like, oh, I'm just January. You just don't drink or it's not it's not like a weird thing to go to a party and have somebody not drink. Whereas in the past people would be like, why aren't you drinking? What's wrong with you? Like, and get in each other's business where now it's just like, Oh, I'm just not drinking. I decided I don't want to drink. Tell me about that. What are your thoughts? I think it is, it is super trendy now. There's no question, but I love it. I think the trend really is just to live better and Mm -hmm. be more in control of your life, right? Because the last few decades has just been insanity. It's been very trendy to be out of control and financially irresponsible and living beyond your means and all of those things, drinking Mm -hmm. to oblivion, all of that has been celebrated. And now we're just shifting into a much more more wellness-based way of living. People are eating a lot more consciously and healthily. People are much more fiscally responsible than they ever used to be and being smart about that. But I think everybody just wants to live better is really the trend. You know, I'm not a person that is big on the mocktails thing. Uh, I think... (laughs) That Whoops. can be a yeah. that well. Listen, it's for it's for non-alcoholic people, yeah. really, and yeah. and some alcoholic people it can help. Here's the deal, though: you have to be very mindful of not trying to recreate something because what happens is you can put yourself in a consistent state of triggered. Also, you know, like. I was a tequila drinker. I would never, even 18 years sober, I would never want to have a non-alcoholic tequila because that would really mess with my head. (laughs) So it's really mess with my head, you know? Yeah. And I went through this too with Whole30. I don't know if you're familiar with Whole30. It's uh, like an elimination diet, right? I did Whole30 last January. I've tried it. It's torture. It's literally torture. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I stay pretty close to it now. Well, no, it's so simple. Okay. It 
it just takes all the madness out of it for me, right? Yeah. Like it's so simple. It's just like, okay, cool. Figure out what the three things you are, you're going to eat and move on with your life. Yeah. Um, but Whole30 has a big piece about this also where not recreating, like it's no sugar, no artificial sugar, artificial sweetener either. And they're like, listen, don't try to get creative and cutesy and making all these fake desserts and trying to make muffins with monk fruit or whatever, because all you're doing is putting yourself in a constant state of triggered for sugar. And it leaves you in a craving state. So that's my concern with a lot of the mocktails. I don't mind if somebody wants to drink something pretty and put a lemon on the side of your glass mm-hmm. or drop a cherry in it, more power to you. But I don't want, I don't want to taste wine alcoholic or non-alcoholic. No, if it's your drink of choice, I would say stay away from it, right? I was a beer drinker and a tequila drinker. I wouldn't drink non-alcoholic either one of those. I could probably drink a non-alcoholic wine because I didn't really care about wine, but I don't want to, right? Because it's weird. And I like being sober. I like being a hundred percent sober. It is my superpower. I am a badass. Being an alcoholic is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It has made me stronger than I ever thought was possible. And I wear that as a badge of honor. I don't even want a fake drink because I just don't want to. I think, I think whatever we're, I mean, this is me just saying it got me through my, you know, I took like a 90 day drinking break and I was able to lean on those, that, And I hope that, you know, if somebody has the decision of just like not drinking or they're going to go with the mocktail route, that I I get what you're saying. I think whatever works to get somebody to stop drinking is the end goal. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree too. I have tons of my clients that do non-alcoholic drinks. It's just not my thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No. I don't care what anybody else does. My thing really is that you have to be mindful of how it affects you. And I Mm -hmm. know how it affects me, right? So I don't want to mess with it. I do not want to compromise my thinking in any way. I definitely don't want to have any kind of cravings or any weirdness, Mm -hmm. right? Like I want to live my life. The beautiful life that I've worked my buns off to create, and I don't want anything setting me back. But yeah, I have tons of people that do non-alcoholics, and it's fine for them. It just isn't my thing. Well, let me ask you. So you're 18 years sober, which congratulations, by the way, which is amazing. Um, Do you like say you have somebody and they're they're newly sober? What is the first thing that you tell somebody to do? Do you tell them like get yourself an AA, get, go, like, what do you tell somebody? Well, so one thing I want to say about AA too, Mm. this was one of my own realizations after being an AA for years. I was sitting there one day and I was like, you know, this isn't the only place to learn all this stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like AA and the 12 steps and kind of that process, Mm -hmm. AA didn't reinvent the wheel. This is, this is wellness 101. You know, it's, a similar process a therapist might take you through. You hear all the same principles. If you go back and read Aristotle and Socrates and Plato, it's the same exact stuff. So people get weird about the 12 steps, but there's really nothing weird about it. It's just a healing journey. That's all it is. And AA gives you the cheat sheet. It's just that simple. But 
again, there's a formula, right? There are certain things that you have to put in place to be successful and live comfortably. Now, if you just want to quit drinking and keep all your old shitty behaviors and not feel good about yourself, that's what we call a dry drunk, right? You can do that and you don't Mm -hmm. have to do any work. But if you want to really heal, which is what recovery is, it's healing. If you want to really heal and have an amazing life, of course, it's going to require some work, right? Yeah. So addiction needs two things to thrive. It needs you to be isolated and feel lonely, and it needs you to feel like crap about yourself. So you have to get connected, right? We are isolators by nature. So you've got to get connected. That's A number one. And a lot of people will say, well, I'm not isolated. I'm with my friends and doing this and doing that. So maybe it's not physically isolated. Maybe it's emotionally isolated. Like how much are you sitting down with your friends and telling them how you really think and feel about yourself and your life and your drinking? Because we withhold all of that stuff because we don't want to be judged, right? And then you're emotionally isolated, which is the worst kind of isolation. So you have to get connected. You have to have people to talk to and laugh with and to feel loved and accepted, even with all of our flaws, right? And then you have to start doing some work to feel better about how you're showing up in life. You've got to start making decisions based on better criteria, right? We have to get honest. That's usually one of the biggest things. I think I said earlier that lying, dishonesty is a big part of addiction. So Mm. that's usually one of the first things, right? We've just got to stop lying. And that's a small thing, but that has a huge impact to how you feel about yourself and how you think about yourself. So those are the things you have to focus on. But when you say early on, if you're talking about the first 30 days, that's kind of a different space, you know, because your first 30 days, you're going through your physical withdrawal, right? Like you're not feeling great. And everybody's withdrawal is different. For some people, it's, you know, some headaches. For me, I felt like I had the flu, like five days, I was down, hot sweats, cold sweats, headaches, body aches, all of it. Um, It's just different for everybody. So your first seven to 10 days, that can be challenging, right? And what you need in those moments is a lot of rest, a lot of water, and any kind of movement you can get, taking a little bit of walk, get some fresh air. And that's kind of it in the very beginning. After that, you've got to start getting some support in place. You've got to get a couple of people at least that know what you're going through, that you're not emotionally isolating from, right? That you'll really say to them, like, listen, I'm drinking too much. I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about how I'm making my choices. I don't feel good about how I'm showing up in my life. I don't feel good about not being present with my kids. Like I have to change this and I would love your support in this journey, right? You've got to have people on your team and that's it in the very beginning. It's like your world should get very small and really should just accommodate your recovery. Don't put yourself in triggering situations. Don't go to parties. Don't go to bars. You know, again, everybody's a little bit different. It didn't bother me at all to bartend. Didn't phase me. But I was resolute. I wasn't drinking. You couldn't have paid me a million dollars to drink. So it didn't matter to me to be at the bar because I wasn't drinking no matter what. That's not a common story, right? So for most people, you have to be really mindful. Don't go around people who are triggering for you. Don't go to places that are triggering for you. Don't do things that are triggering for you. And in your first month, that's really where your primary focus should be. Okay. And then we talked in the beginning. So it's already, so say you're not doing sober January. I mean, it's obviously never too late to stop drinking. Okay. So if you've 
what we're on, we're, you, this will be out next week, but it's January 10th today. So you, you haven't started dry January. There's always another chance to start over. You could do dry February or you could do Angela's program of dry boot camp in, in July. So tell me about that. You could do dry January 10th. You don't yeah. have to do dry <laughs> January 1. Yeah. yeah <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. it's never too late to jump in and start getting engaged and just start learning. You know, and that's one of the beautiful things too is there are so many resources now. There are so many ways to learn what to do and how to do it and why you feel the way you feel and why do you have these issues. And there's so much at your fingertips now that, yeah, you can start whenever you you want to start. And there's apps. Like I remember when I did Tons it last time, the reframe app, it tells you every day. I think that's the one I did. There was one that I did and it was so interesting because it tells you like you're building, like your brain cells back up on this day mm-hmm. you're doing, it's almost like when you, when I was pregnant, I was obsessed with like where my baby was at every stage. It's kind of like that for people yeah. that stop drinking. So there are so many opportunities. I love what you said too about, um, you know, a lot of times people have addiction issues because they're hiding from, this is just my opinion. You might agree. They're hiding from something, whether it be abuse, trauma, loss, it's, it's putting a bandaid on things, right? Um, that we don't really want to deal with. We don't want to have to think about what happened to us in our childhood or what happened to us. So I, I love what you say about reaching out to somebody. There's always somebody out there. And I say this to my listeners too, that might be struggling with, um, you know, suicidal ideations or anything along those lines that there's always someone, there's always someone. And I would like to close the episode saying, if you really are struggling, I mean, I've been fortunate enough over the years to have a lot of um, people that are sober and, you know, reach out to them, reach out to Angela, my God, 18 years sober, a life coach, a brilliant, kind lady that I can tell I would like to be in touch with forever. Um, There's people out there. And so don't ever feel like you're alone because you're not, you're really, really not alone. Um, so in closing, Angela, thank you so much for coming on. Please check out her podcast. I know that I will be um, checking it out. Addiction Unlimited. It's available uh, wherever you stream, I'm assuming, correct? Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah, okay. it's everywhere. And it's a lot of life skills, you know, because yeah. recovery and healing is a, it's really about growing up and learning coping skills and life skills. So and that's where the life coach piece for me comes in, right? It's like I became a life coach first really early in my sobriety. And it has just been the most valuable education that, of course, I continue educating myself and learning more because it's changing so rapidly. But yeah, it's incredible. Just reach out somewhere, get help. There are tons of Facebook groups, tons of Instagram pages, tons of TikTok people that can help you figure out your sobriety journey. But just don't be afraid to start. It's not nearly as terrifying as you think. Like we're out here being sober people living beautiful lives. If it was really that bad, we wouldn't be doing it. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I adored meeting you and everyone. um, I hope that you reach out to Angela. She's a great resource. 
And I just want to tell you all how much I appreciate you. Like I talked about being grateful in the beginning of the podcast. I truly, truly am grateful to be in the place that I am today. Doesn't mean I don't have my bad days. We all have our bad days. But it's every day I say all the time, it's like a test that we're here. We're here for such a short amount of time. I mean, I can't even believe how quickly a decade flew by. And that's part of life. It goes, what is it, the the term, the days are long, but the years are short, something like that about being a parent, but it's also true in life. So appreciate your life. Be grateful. I'm so grateful to all of you. I'm grateful to Angela. And in closing, be happy by making other people happy. Thanks, Angela. Thank you. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.